From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me as always for this little hour of pure fun and enjoyment is the man himself, Roger Mitchell. Rog, how are you my friend? Um, not bad, just like you a little bit, travelling to the nth degree. Just got back from Madrid. Uh, before that I was in Cambridge with the, the, the family and before that I was up in Scotland with my mum. So uh, in somewhere along there I've picked up a cold. And um, ah, have you got this new COVID strain? There's a new COVID strain. Oh, don't you sure that, it's not that? Well, don't say that. Rafa's been struggling as well a wee bit, but hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, there's a there's a new COVID strain, mate. Watch out. Apparently, it's very mild, but there is a new. Everyone, yep. I just got back to came in from the US, and everyone's down with it. Great, great news. That's great news. What about you? You've been buzzing around as well. Yeah, no, I've I've not stopped. I tell you what, I I spent I spent. Um, I spent uh, Either 72 hours or six months in Sweden. I can't really tell the difference um, <laughs> this time of year. Man, it, it, it's, dark, I was saying to friends, it's bleak, man. I mean, you know, I, I, it's no wonder there are so many of these serial killers in Danish, Scandi, <laughs> noir, noir thrillers. But the other thing is, if you're a serial killer, just kind of wait them out. People will do the job for you. You don't need to kill yeah. them. Yeah. God Jesus. almighty, it, yeah, it, it was bleak. I mean, you know, beautiful, but... Boy, oh boy, oh boy, Roger, it was bleak out there. Grim up north, I think, is the, yeah, uh, no, it's, the technical it's, expression. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's crazy everywhere these days, Grant. Crazy everywhere. But, um, you know, we've got uh, 45 minutes an hour to just chat about nothing, really. Just nothing. Yes, <laughs> always... that's good. I know, isn't that nice? It's always nice to have a chance to chat about nothing. Well, I'll tell you what, well, listen, let, let me kick you off with a little, okay. little nothing. And this is, um, this is a shout-out to a friend of the show, uh, John Calhoun who came up trumps me. My flight from the UK to the US was, um, I had to put it back 24 hours this last last week. And what that meant was I was in town on Monday when Fulham were at home to um, to Wolves. And, uh, you know, trying to buy a ticket, I'm on the waiting list for season tickets, no joy there. Um, didn't get any this year, even though they've got that brand new stand open, I still couldn't get off the waiting list, which shocks me, but anyway. Um, just trying to buy a ticket as a casual fan these days, Roger, is not an easy thing to do. So I went on, I was trying to find tickets for me and friends and uh, couldn't get any. There's one here and one like 25 rows back in a different block. It was a real pain in the ass. So I, I sent John a message and said, look, is there any chance you can pull any strings? I know you know people there. If you can get me a couple of tickets, you know, I want to pay full freight. I don't want freebies, but can you see if there are, there's any way I can get a couple of tickets? And he said, ah, let me see what I can do. And he, and he called back and said, right, there's a couple going to be left for you at the... Wonderful. At the, uh, at the will call. And um, just, it, yeah, I, I've been going to Fulham for 51 years, Rog. And um, the tickets they had that John had got for me were actually sitting on the balcony of the cottage in the corner oh, of the ground. Oh, my. Which was just, I mean... It, yeah, I was I was like an eight year old kid. I walked, you know, I, I picked the tickets up and they walked us down, showed us up the stairs into the cottage. And like I said, fifty one years, I'd never set foot in there. The hospitality was amazing. The staff were incredible. You know, it's a tiny little place. It's not like one of these big, you know, executive boxes at Old Trafford, which made it for me so much better. It was just so intimate and so it was just so cool. Um, you know, sat and watched the game. Great game. We won three two. You know, with a penalty right at the end of the game. Um, Jao Polina was suspended, so I had a chat with him in the in the in oh. the box there. Wonderful young man, just a really really good young man, you know. And um, you realise, uh, Rog, you know, when we sit in the stands, we watch these guys. You know, there's all these men playing football. When you get up close, they're young. They're just young boys. They're, chil- they're young children, boys. Children. Uh, it's it's amazing. But you know, he, he was great. He was a lovely guy. Nice long chat with him. You know, and I I, I got my opportunity to say to him, you know, look. I know you didn't get that move to Bayern, but fair play to you for putting a shift in this season. I said, you know, if you, if you do get your move, thanks for everything you've done. And I don't think any real Fulham fan would begrudge you a move to to a big club like Bayern after what you've done for us. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it was just it was you, just you a, a tremendous Phil, evening. So Phil fanboy mode, I can see you saying that. No, I genuinely, I Phil genuinely, I genuinely meant mode. that. I genuinely meant that, Rog. You know, because how many people look? Look what Mitrovic. Same thing, right? Mitrovic, same thing. Right, gets tapped up by a Saudi club. It wasn't a big club. It was big money, and he doesn't get the move, and he sulks and scowls, and you know, just just makes himself an absolute nightmare in the changing room. Polina gets his head down, and he's been our best player this year by far. So fair play to him, you know, if he does end up going. But anyway, that's a long story. But uh, a big thanks to uh, to JC for for finding me those tickets. It was it was a, a once in a lifetime for me. JC's a great guy. A couple of things on that. Yes. I was in Madrid for the um, shout out to Nick Meacham and his crew at Sports Pro. Um, so I was in Madrid, and there was a lot of the, the 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 people from Como there and the contacts and everything like that. So Lippy, you know Dave Lippy, Man United. Um, he says, "So you want to go to the game um, on on Wednesday? You know Real Napoli." And uh, he said that on the plane when we were arriving. We we're on the same plane. Uh, and I said, um, sure, sure. But Dave, you know, like, you know, make sure, like you said, make sure everybody pays for their ticket, you yeah. know, you know, uh, you know, because the, the, it's not, it's not Man United game. He says, oh, no, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, and, 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 and like, I, I, I wouldn't say what he said because it'll sound bad, but it was, you know, it's along the lines <laughs> of when was the last time you paid for a ticket, Rog? <laughs> <laughs> Great seats, new stadium. Um, I'll come back to film in a minute, but uh, I'll talk a little bit about Real and Napoli, which uh, was there. Uh, I want to hear about Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was there. Armstrong from Juve was there, Ant Arena. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot. Of, uh, the, the lady CEO from Angel City, really nice person, really liked her. Um, Julia, I can't remember her second name, but I was really impressed with her. She was a speaker. But anyway, so the game starts, and like you know, Napoli are a good team, uh, and um, you know they score first. And anyway, you know, like I, I saw how it was set up. You know, when you're at the game, you can see how the teams are set up and where Bellingham starts as a position. You know, so Carlo's playing pretty much close to a four-four-two, pretty much close to a four-four-two, and Bellingham's on the left of midfield. But um, he's got license to move and to make forward runs. And he was impeccable all night, you know, and, and everything, Grant, you know, and, and, and his attitude, uh, chasing back, putting in a shift, hurting the other side, you know, and, and obviously got a, a great goal and an assist. And they loved him there. You know, like that's the thing. Yeah. They love him there. You know, the whole Hey Jude song going on. Which which, yeah. was, which was which was great, but I have to say, right, um, like coming back to them being kids, he's a kid still. But who's not a kid is Tony Cruz, right? Tony Cruz yeah. has been doing this stuff. Well, he's still he's still making those Mission Impossible movies at his age. I mean, it's extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you, he's belling them like um, twelve years forward, you know, because he went to Real very very young as well, and it's had a magnificent career. I watched him. I watched him the whole game. I mean, did not put a foot wrong. I mean, professional, held the position, chased when he needed to chase, put in a, a sprint when he needed to put in a sprint, but didn't when he didn't need to do it. Just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So um, that was a, that was that was a great night, and you know, great goals. And Napoli were strong, and and, and I liked it. Um, coming back to Fulham, uh, of course. You omitted to uh, mention your uh, hobby horse of VAR this time. <laughs> you thought I was going to yeah, let that well, go. And, no, and do you know what? I still haven't seen. I still haven't. Se- I sound like Arsene Wenger, right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> but but it's true. I still haven't seen the the replays. From it looked like one of them was a stone cold penalty, and one of them looked very sketchy to me. Even even at full speed in the moment, right. I was like, "We're not going to get that one," and we did. And I remember I read that it it shouldn't have been given. Um, so I, I don't. I, you're, you're obviously going to tell me what, what actually happened. No, no. It was, it's like I, I I wrote to John afterwards and I said, "Look, thanks for sending Grant out, sorting Grant out." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, your boy will be happy with VAR this week, you know, because like, I don't know. I never saw it either, but apparently it was very, very sketchy." Um, and the other thing about the game was that, um, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody was complaining about the lack of atmosphere at the cottage. Yeah, on Twitter. What's that all yeah. about? What's that all about? 
Is it, you know, Roger, it's interesting, right? Um, and I've, 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 Fulham's the only club I've supported, right? It's the only club I've followed home and away. So I've, I've been to big games on the grounds, but you just get a one shot snapshot of what the atmosphere is. And I think the point this guy was making uh, on Twitter, I can't remember his handle now, but he was basically, I can't wait for the next away game. Because in the away game, and you see it at Fulham all the time, you've got, like, you know, you've got one half of one end is the away fans. And they make a lot of noise. Yeah. Because if you are getting a train to London on a midweek in December, you know, and, you're, and, the, and the game starts at eight o'clock, you're not, you're not going to get on the train back to Wolves until 11 at London. You're a proper fan. So you're yeah. going to be singing, you're going to be shouting the whole time. So at a ground like Fulham, generally speaking, the away fans are. Is that concentrated noise coming out of one corner and the Fulham fans, you know, the hardcore are up in the, in the Hammersmith end and they're all up there singing and chanting and stuff, but it doesn't, considering how many fans there are, it just doesn't, it just doesn't carry like it does with, with, the, with the away fans. So I, I totally get what he was saying. You know, it's just like not, there's not enough constant atmosphere. But I have to say, I've watched a lot of football the last couple of weeks because I've, I've been bouncing in and out of the UK and I've been surprised even like the City games, there yeah. was a real lack of atmosphere and in a couple of the City games. He, he had a goal pep. He then. did, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it, it's the Liverpool, the Liverpool City game, there were pockets of it. But it, it does feel to me in general, like the, the kind of the non-stop drumbeat of noise you had through these Premier League games, it's dissipating for sure it is. I just think, I, I don't know, Graham, but I just feel, you know, spider sense, this game of ours is changing. You know, I feel, I mean, um, I don't want to get super serious, but, you know, that you, when you come off a conference and you've been with the industry, and I haven't done that for ages, apart from our own event in Como, um, you you feel certain things. And then even before going, I'd written that article about this is the end, about, you know, my Which was said, terrific, by the way. Anyone listening to this that hasn't read that, it's a terrific piece, it really is. Thank you, thank you. But, you know, today the news came out that Man City um, have agreed to set the date of the trial for some time in 2025 or something like that. Like a year a, a year away grant. You know, so the, the the theme the theme of that article was, you know, Everton got punished, right or wrong, they got punished. Um Man City for the second time after UEFA, this is the second time, five years of of deflection, distraction, uh, delays with Clifford Chance, the lawyers who I'm sure are wonderful and do a great job. But the fact is that um, the football governors can't get justice with Man City because they just don't want to come to trial. And, you know, uh, you, you you link all of that to all the other stuff that, that's, you know, that's out there and, and these kind of things about what stadium are working and what they're not working. And that's why it's titled This Is The End because I just feel that there's a lot of... A lot of reasons, you know, to think that this isn't the game we grew up with. And, and you know, I'm not articulating this very well, but I've got a, a real sense that we're running into a major crossroads with football here. Yeah, it's got it's got that feel to it. I mean, look, we, we went through the 80s with all the you know, hooligan stuff in the UK, right? And that that felt like it was a it was a turning point and they managed to step everybody away from the brink. We got we went through the Premier League in the early 90s and everyone thought the same thing, that, you know, this is the end, if the Premier League's going to break away, this is it, how does football hold together? We went through COVID, you know, thinking there'll be clubs falling left and right and I still think that's a possibility, Roger. I don't think we're out of those woods yet. Um, you know, football has this ability to survive. The question is, I think to your point, is, what it, is whatever survives the game that we love? And yeah, yeah. I... I suspect it probably won't be. Um, you know, if you if you if you watch, they have these kind of old episodes of the big match and stuff at two o'clock in the morning yeah. on you know, channel whatever. And because of my constant jet lag, I find myself watching a lot of those. And uh, watching those games is is fantastic because they take you back to your childhood. But I would have said in the eighties, this is the game I love, and the game today is so much better. Right, it's so much better. Yes, you don't have the characters. Pitch. Yeah, yeah, you don't have the characters. The coverage is better. You know, it, it's it's a better game. You know, when I when I watch the game, even even Fulham Wolves, right, the, the ability that these players have, 
um, oh, the, the way the ball was... zips around. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 extraordinary. So I, so I don't know, Roger. I think on the one hand, I think you're right. I think the game we love is under massive pressure, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be gone. I just think it's going to change, and I think it'll be kind of uh, slow-moving change. I mean, VAR is a perfect example of that. Uh, my fear is that we wake up one day and go, oh, you know, look, look what it's turned into. I don't think there's going to be a moment where you go, oh, this is it, this is the well, end. I mean, let's, let, let's, well, let's talk about it a, a little bit because, you know, I had some conversations in Madrid um, with people, uh, people you know as well, and this Super League thing isn't dead. You know, no, I'm sure it's not. And 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 I'm not talking about, you know, I was in Spain, so it's obviously Madrid and Barcelona and Juve. I'm talking about what was called before the Super League, the English top big six or what was it called? Project, whatever yeah. it was. I can't remember. Yeah. It's now, yeah, it's, really it's now big seven. It's now big seven. These people are meeting together. These people are planning together. Fulham? Did, did Fulham get the seven he slot? Didn't, he didn't get the seven slot, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I know you <sighs> were home for that. I know you, but no. Um <sighs> And like, you know, the conversations about how maybe these bigger clubs can, because everybody in these conferences is talking about money and revenues and products and everything like that. So well, maybe the bigger clubs can do something together. And I said, look, as soon as a league has a subsection of its clubs doing something independent of the central of the league, the league's over. The league has been undermined. Yeah. But 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 this thing is happening. And then, you know, you you see what happened today. Again, friends of mine, AC Milan, you know, they've had a, a very difficult year this year after a really great year the year before, you know, and, and, and you know, guess what's happening? It's all kicking off. You know, um, Paolo Maldini came out today. Um, as I suspected he always would when I did that Gatto Pardo, the Leopard article with him, mm -hmm. he came out and he slammed Cardinale. Slammed him, you know. Uh, you don't have any feeling for this club. You don't know what Milan means. I wanted to kick it forward. Uh, and, 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 you know, everywhere you look, I see, whether it's at Chelsea with Clear Lake and, you know, see, seemingly crazy transfer policy, Americans that bought uh, AC Milan, obviously the Saudis that bought Newcastle, PSG and Qatar. It's no longer the ownership feeling of when it was our clubs. You know, it seems to be part almost of a conglomerate now. You know, it's like, and again in that article, I said this very clearly, Grant. Um, you remember this, the time of Big Bang in, in the financial world. All those wonderful old brokers that had... Yeah, uh, gone. And, all gone. But I mean, how quickly did that culture go? You know, all gone. Uh, and I, I guess it's just a couple of weeks I've been feeling that they'll exist. You know, like, you know, James Capel is part of HSBC. It still exists, I guess. But it doesn't exist. What I mm -hmm. worked at as James Capel doesn't exist anymore. You know, what I went to see at Celtic Football Club when I was 14 and 15, I don't think it exists anymore. You know, AC Milan is scrambling for pennies to keep up with the Bournemouths of this world. This isn't good, Grant. And 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 I'd say it like this. I'd say it like this. Golf's gone. We'll come back to that in a minute. Golf's gone. Yes, we will. Golf's gone. Fucking tennis. Today's announcement. Oh, the majors and the top tournaments are going to break away. No shit, Sherlock. D I mean, did we not talk about polarization? Mm -hmm. Hollywood yep. and art. No shit, Sherlock. And 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 now in some shape or another, it's going to happen in association football. And um, I'm struggling, mate. You know, like, whilst it's lovely to be the guy that can in some way saw this coming, and I think I said this a couple of years, I will be right and I will hate it. And I'm currently yeah. on this podcast hating, <laughs> hating it, mate. Yeah. Hating it. No, I, look, I hear you. I hear you. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, the number of stories like that tennis one that I've read in the last couple of years, and I just roll my eyes like, eh, Roger called it again. I mean, it's the direction of travel has been has been so clear, and you've been you've been absolutely right on the money in all this stuff. And it is it is kind of cross pollinated across every sport now. It's not just 
It's not just one or two sports. It's the same business model yeah. is trying to be rolled out. And, I, and I, you know, that, that's, that's where I start to question, Rog, is that because that business model, I think, is completely unproven because it's, it's, it's been proven in an era that we don't live in anymore. And I don't think that the business model that these guys are trying to run is fit for purpose in a world of higher rates and lower spendable, you know, disposable income amongst fans because everything in this, um, everything in this, uh, this business model is designed to generate more and more money, to take more and more money out of the fans' pockets. That's it. That's the whole raise and debtor of the whole thing. It's how can, you know, where, where are we leaving money uh, on the table here? Yeah. And yeah. I, just think, I just think that that, that is going gonna, is gonna to run headlong into a world that can't, that can't stand it. Uh, and I'm curious to see what happens, whether we get some massive um, splintering, some disintegration, or a kind of, well, that didn't work, we better go back to our roots. You know, I, I don't know, Roger. I hope it's the latter. I fear it's the former. And I don't really know which one it's going to be. You know, um, you, you've got a great point there. Um, you've always had this point, to be fair. You know, you've always pushed back, transient, don't follow the the, the glitter because it's, it won't last. Um, the only thing that makes sport different from everything else in entertainment is something about the spirit of the game and authenticity. And um, if you let that go, you just, with all the other entertainment, and sooner or later you'll be it's overwhelmed wrestling. It's by wrestling, crap. It's wrestling with studs, yeah. Right, so, you know... And the Christ, you know, I'm in the middle of this, you know, proofreading the book and everything like that. And there's this one chapter in there about, you know, question of balance. And, you know, I know you've read the book, you wrote the epilogue, but, you know, when it talks about Martin, Martin Scorsese having a go at the Marvel franchise movies, yeah. what, what did we see to in the, what have we seen in the last couple of months? A whole lot of Hollywood people, I think today Jodie Foster was the last one saying, this theme of the big franchise Marvel DC Comics movies has gone maybe a year too long, you know? At least. I would say three, but okay. So they're coming to your point of view of saying the idea of just churning out the same old, same old and they'll always buy it and they'll just come for the big name and the franchise and um, maybe not, maybe not. Uh, um, So I think we're saying the same thing. We just don't know how this is going to end up. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned Jodie Foster there, Rog. Um, the best film I've seen for quite some time is this little film on Netflix with her and uh, Annette Benning. I don't know if you've seen it. About I heard Diana about Knight, it. I swimmer. haven't. The Swimmer. It's a terrific film. Terrific film. You know, it's a true story. It's a story about sport, a very real sporting achievement. Um, it's obviously low budget. You know, there's kind of four or five actors in it, probably. Um it's terrific. It's a great script. It's a great story. It's authentic. There's no special effects. It's brilliant. And and I you know I just cannot help but think that everything is cyclical, and we we are going to come back to the point if these Marvel and I think this through right if the Marvel franchise things and and every single Marvel film is getting slated recently. You know it's funny how quickly when when people turn they turn. It's like it doesn't matter how good the film is, you're going to get packed. And so if that's the case, what do you go back to? Right, you are going to go back to because the first thing that's going to happen is the budgets get slashed because these are all big budgets. The budgets get slashed, and it's find me a good script, find me a good script, find me a good story, because the story is what's important ultimately. You can you can say what you like about these blockbusters, but ultimately it's this is the story, and that's why these these films are such a failure because they're so formulaic. It's the same story in every single one of them, um, and that's that's when I come back to sport. Right, the story. There is always a story in any sporting contest and it's not written. It's not devised by six guys in a room trying to push the emotional buttons of the audience at certain points. It's a real story that unfolds in real time that everybody watching is invested in and nobody knows the ending. And you can't guess the ending in sport. It's ridiculous. It's some of the crazy stuff you see happen. So, you know, I I just believe that this, this affinity that we have for storytelling and for stories will ultimately, if it won't, if it isn't the saviour of sport, it will at least be um, a force for kind of um, consideration when it comes down to figuring out how, the, how all this comes out. Well, continuing that reasoning where we now talk about golf and John Ram. If I'm not mistaken, Ugh. if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, um, 
for a long time, he's been saying never, but never over my dead body. What happened, Grant? Because apparently he's right there now. What happened and where does it go from here? Well, it's a great question, Rog. Um, it's, 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 it's really interesting because, it, you know, the, the, st- the rumours have been swirling for the last couple of weeks. They died down for a bit. They were very strong and they died down. They've come back with a vengeance. So it feels to me like it's a done deal. A um, couple of things. First of all, supposedly he's getting 300 million, which actually seems quite low considering what they came out the gate with for the Mickelsons of the world, right? And that tells me that the Saudis are, um, are a lot more cautious about just, throw, you know, they, they need to see a return. And, and I just read Alan Shipnook's book, Live and Let Die, which I, which I strongly recommend anyone that's interested in golf should read because um, Shipnook's a very polarising character. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy his books. I'm not sure I'd like to have a beer with him, but I enjoy his books. Um, and And the impression you get from reading a book is inside live, it's changed significantly in that, okay, we've splashed all this money, now we want to return. So things are going to get tight. You know, the, the first season they were all getting flown on a chartered jumbo jet to the matches and after the next season, it's right, you're paying for your own travel at your own prize money, blah, blah, blah. So for Ram to go for 300, um, I would have thought to get him um, behind McElroy, the most visible golfer in the world, to jump ship when he's the reigning Masters champion, I would have thought the price tag would have been 500 million. So that was one thing that I thought was interesting. Second thing is the rumours are strong that he has said he will go if they change the format and it's 72 holes with a cut so they can get world ranking points. If that happens, you have to kind of think, okay, who is winning here then, right? If Liv, if Liv, if Liv is being forced to come back out and play the same rules as the PGA Tour in order to get people there, but with more drinks and more disco music and more, you know, shorts on the course. What what exactly is going on? I don't know. Um, so so for me, Rog, until Ram goes and we hear what's happening, whether it, there is a change to the format, I don't know. I feel like he's going to go, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on the PGA Tour for sure to lose someone like him. I think it will look pretty hypocritical of him given his words and they're, they're well documented the words he said in the past and I I didn't have him down as a hypocrite I, I, I personally would be quite disappointed if he having said what he said he takes this route but at the end of the day if someone comes along and you're a you're a, you're 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 a 30 something or 20 something year old athlete and they say here's 300 million dollars up front um you know if, if he gives it the whole I'm doing this for the good of the game then he's dead to me if he says there may be an offer I can't refuse, good luck to you. You know, it's, that's that's your choice. And, and the rumour is that if he goes, what I read is that there's going to be a lot behind him, jumping ship as well into life. Yeah, which, which, which I, I would agree, but that that makes it even more surprising that he's only, in air quotes, getting paid $300 million. I would expect him to get more than that. Well, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Jim Monaghan's, dead in the water and has been for a while. I'm, I'm amazed he's still in a job, to be honest. Right, he's, there's some right. of the things you see written about him by people in the game are just unbelievable on Twitter. Um, but, but you know, what I would say, and I would come back to our example of tennis, and you say who's actually winning, I think it's clear who's winning, Grant. Um, what will be left after this, whether Ram goes or doesn't go, what's clearly happening is the unbundling of the PGA Tour the main events of the PGA Tour with the majors, with whatever Liv is, will become the pinnacle of the game. And the journeyman John Deere opens of the PGA Tour or their equivalent on the ATP Tour in tennis just will not, will go no bid. We'll go no bid in the media market and we'll go no bid in the entertainment market. And and, and that's always been super clear to me. So 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 yeah. what, what, what we're seeing here is the destruction of what you would call the kind of like wide broad church of the sports ecosystem, sport by sport, you know, whether it's, and and come back to your point, it's not really about anything other about who owns the, the, the toy at the end of the day. You know, the Champions League is owned by UEFA, a Super League is owned by the clubs that play in UEFA. Same thing with the players and everything like that. So what I think we're, we're seeing here is a fight for who actually owns it. 
and the PGA is gone. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen to the ATP. The majors, as we've said, have always had this position that, you know, were slightly different. I can see, you know, that for me, the big question is what happens to that long tail of, you know, the John Deere uh, Open or I don't know what, what it is in tennis, you know, the Monte Carlo. I, I don't know. But um, I think that's the prize in all of this. You know, what happens to the long tail of sport that makes a living and a pleasure for good, excellent pro players in these sports and golf and tennis and everything like that. Because the, the, the status quo is gone, Grant. I think the data points are too much now. It's gone. Well, I, I, look, I'll tell you what happens, Rog. I'll tell you what happens in golf is the prize money for those tournaments goes to near zero, right? I mean, I, I, I know the prize money down in Australia for these events, There's a they've got the Aussie kind of summer tour, Australian PGA, Australian Open, the prize money is a fraction of the John Deere Classic, never mind the big tournaments in, in the States. Um, and, and you'll see that. You'll see all the prize money getting slashed uh, for sure. But, you know, when we, when we talk about who owns the games, Rog, um, the answer's ultimately the same, the fans. Because if the fans lose interest, the fans turn off, the fans don't want to watch the product anymore, you've got no game. You can do what you like to, to gussy stuff up and appeal to a demographic. Um, but unless you have genuine fans of the game, not tourists that, that are curious about what the gimmick is going to be this week on Live or whatever it may be, unless you have genuine fans that care, they're invested, you've got nothing. You just don't have anything. Um, you know, I, I, when I was walking through Bishop's Park on the way to Craven Cottage the other day, you know, I've got friends with me, um, you know, and he's a he's a he's not a huge football fan. He, he he's a football fan, but not not a diehard one. He's, he goes with his son when he's back home in Belgium. And I was explaining to him, you know, as we're walking through the park, the guys selling the scarves that half say Fulham, half say Wolves, right? And you see this at every ground, right? Every ground now, there's a guy out there selling the scarves with both teams on them. And I said to, I said to friends, you know, in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> he'd have been beaten to death, he'd have been strangled yeah. and strung up from a tree with one of those scarves there. But of course now, there are so many people that are just, oh, I'm in London, I'm going to go to a Premier League match and I want a souvenir. I saw Fulham play Wolves at Craven Cottage, so I want my souvenir scarf yeah. to remember the two teams that I saw play. Are they going to go back to another game? Maybe, maybe not. But if that's the fan you're trying to cultivate, you're finished. You're absolutely finished. Well, well, listen, you know, I was in Madrid and, and one of the the, the, the the speeches I want to hear was the, the guy that runs the Kings League. Because... This oh, is, yeah, okay. So this is completely opposite. And I'm not, I mean, like, we've talked about this a lot, but it was just great to hear him speaking. So basically there, you create a circus-type version of football, but the influencers that have already got their audience make it successful um, is streamed on, you know, YouTube and on their own social media and on the influencer social media, and the numbers are big. And on the back of those numbers, you've got a sponsorship model. Um, pretty, I think, you know, most people, well, the, the, there was a woman here from YouTube that was saying how much they do for it, but YouTube doesn't make money for sport. You know, uh, I think we need to say that. There's just no real money in YouTube in sport. Uh, and, and, you know, I've got the figures to back that up if anybody wants to challenge me on that. But the point is this, you know, you just come away, from, at least I do, you come away from these events and you think a little bit, you know, we have gone through this world of sport being financed by a subscription model. You paid for Sky, you paid for ESPN, uh, you paid for DAZN, um, and, and, and you know, there's, there was a new one called Viaplay coming back to your Scandinavian friends. You know, you know the sheer price of Viaplay as we speak is down 99% from October 2021. 99%, not 19%. Mm -hmm. um, hey, you could still fall 99% from here, Rog. Yeah, yeah. So so basically that model's fucked, right? Uh, so I'm starting to think, is subscription in general fucked? You know, is it... Do we absolutely have to flip this and go on to the model of back-to-free-to-air? You know, start doing it on a sponsorship model, really work on audience, uh, and then you make your money the way that all of these people have done it. And I come back to the prime energy drink. I come back to Conor McGregor's tequila. You know, 
Because I'm telling you, Grant, I was in there for almost a week in Madrid in this industry, which is basically around, you know, sport media. All I saw, and I, I just, when I see things, I see things with glasses. Something comes into my eyes. All I saw was a selection of guys my age, dead men walking. There's a plethora of suppliers of all little parts of this of the the, the 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 chain the distribution chain of getting a signal from the sports venue to your screen and they all do little parts of it wee tiny parts of it and they're all there with booths and there just ain't that many people in sport that are prepared to pay for that anymore the numbers don't add up cut the cord all, that whole industry is going to be wiped away there's going to be survivors. There's going, to, but what I'm saying is, there must have been thirty, forty companies there that I saw. If I was a betting man, I would be thinking they'll be down ninety nine percent again in the two years that it took Viaplay to go. So that's what's in my head, man. I'm just not sure there's even a model for this industry anymore, other than going back to free to air and just just really taking it down and and we just use the players' wages. As you say, the golfers, the footballers, the tennis players, they'll just have to accept they'll be poor again like they were in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like such a crazy idea given the amount of money that's been splashed around um, for players in every single sport. But it's it's the easiest adjustment, Rog. It's the easiest adjustment. You know, if, if, if the money isn't there, you can't have it. It's that simple. That's the easiest conversation to have. The money isn't there. So you're going to have to take a cut in wages. And, yep, for the first couple of years, there'll be a couple of teams that will, you know, still pay stupid money because they want to pick their Galactico team. But once they do that, then ultimately they won't keep paying that kind of money. So, you know, you'll have a couple, you'll have a couple of years where big teams will still pay stupid money. All the others will cut, cut the, the wage bill. And then it'll equalise it, it'll equalise at a lower level because it has to, it just has to. The, the, the money isn't there anymore. And, and that's why the Man City case is so important because the yeah. only way you yeah, can I hold agree. that is if you've got a salary cap or some kind of stuff. And if they use Clifford Chance to delay this for five years with all kinds of the most unbelievable tactics of discovery and everything like that, then we, if we can't enforce cost control in this industry, in Europe I'm talking about, there's no future. There's just no future, apart from being, you know, part of big conglomerates, like I said before. Football clubs, sports things will be the marketing little jewel in the crown of big conglomerates that do something else, whether it's a nation state or whether it's, you know, part of Todd Bowley's empire. Or let's come on to another one, one of the ones near your part of the world. This was one of my own goals this week that I found quite funny. Do you know about the Carolina Panthers? I do. I do, yes, I do. Right, so I didn't, I you know, I didn't, um, you know, so, but I do now because a couple of things caught my eye. You know, uh, David Tepper, David Tepper is the yes, owner now. Appaloosa. Yeah, the Appaloosa. Yes, he is. He's had him for about five years, I think. Yeah, the Appaloosa is a distra distressed debt hedge fund and he's extremely wealthy. Uh, and he is now, I saw an article which caught my eye, obviously, for GOG, David Tepper, NFL's worst owner um, in I don't know whether you agree with that, but the stats in the article are pretty uh, are pretty funny. And this is my point, that a guy like him, who, you know, this is the quote that got me, Grant. You know, this is this is the the red sec, the red flag, isn't it? Um here's it's from the article. There's certainly some red flags when David Tepper took over the Panthers in 2018. Like the time he told the New York magazine, quotes, sometimes if someone is an asshole, like a waiter at a restaurant, I think I could just buy this place and fire that fucker. <laughs> you know, or, or when he bought the Hamptons house of his formal boss at Goldman Sachs for 43.5 million. That's right. Tore it down completely and then built a house twice as big on the land. This isn't a guy that should be in charge of a sports park franchise. It's this is not. absolutely correct. This is absolutely correct, and and the results have borne that out. I think they're, um, I think they're like ten and seventy the last whatever four or five years since he since he took the reins. I mean, it's and that they were in the. Did they get to the Super Bowl? Did they get to the or the NFC or the uh, divisional know. championship game? Back in 2015, it's only seven or eight years ago. They were, He's destroyed it. They were flying high. 
Yeah. Just, no, no, look, he has. He has. But, I mean, look, you can... The only thing he didn't have is the period that the Abramovich of the world have where they got it right and then they destroy it. He just went, he just skipped over the success and went straight to the destroying it part. <laughs> and let's take the other side of it because I, I, I keep coming back, sports clubs and their owners, whoever they are, I think this is the secret we need to look at now. A, a sport entity, a football club, an NFL franchise doesn't exist without understanding who their owners are now. Let's look at Mark Cuban, the mm-hmm. opposite of Tepper, taking over a very underperforming team over X years has done magnificent, you know, and not only on the field, but as an organization, he manages it well. He's got everybody rowing in the right direction. I don't know Mark Cuban that well, only what I read about him, but he seems a very successful guy, knows what he's doing. What did Mark Cuban do this week, Grant? He sold. Oh, he did. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Um, yeah. And, you know, who did he sell it to? One of the very big families down in Texas who, um, if I'm not mistaken, are the owners of, if not the biggest casino, the second biggest casino in Vegas, the Sands. Um, I'm doing this oh, from okay. memory now. So, um, and guess why they're buying that that sports club? It's very useful tool. Betting, betting play, right? No, to get the, no? yeah, yeah, get the, the betting casino licenses in Texas. Yeah. Because yeah. owning that franchise is rather good PR. So that's why it kind of like pisses me off when you always get accusations of the Saudis with sports washing. Because these people aren't doing the same. Let's buy the, Ma- it's the Mavericks, yeah? Let's buy the Mavericks. Yeah. Um, that gives us real power in Texas with, you know, the, the politicians that we need to schmooze to get them to open up betting and casinos in, in that state. This is why I'm so low, man. This is the role of sport now. It's just a little comms, comms ta- tactic. Um, good kudos to Mark Cuban. I mean, he's found a really willing buyer. He realizes it at the top of the market, um, and he's out. And he manages to keep control of the the sport operation. They don't even care about that. The ones that have bought it now, no. they, they've let Mark Cuban run the team. You know, that's where we are, man. Well, look, as I say, I, I, this has been the direction of travelling. You've called it so well. My hope all along has been, as I said at the, earlier in the show, you know, if, if, if you lose the fans, you've lost it all. And by prioritising the things that all these guys are prioritising, they will lose the fans. It's just a matter of time, Rog. There's no amount of, um, you know, party holes at golf courses and party courts at tennis matches. There's no amount a fake sheen that can distract you from the reality of sport, right? It's it's competition. It's just competition. It's not about the gloss and the and the shimmer and all the glitter that you throw on the top of it. It just isn't, and it never has been, right? It never has been. It drives me mad when you see a team, you know, win the Van Rama South Division playoffs and then you have to have the shot of him getting the trophy with all the fireworks in the background. You know, if yeah. you zoom out, there's 18 people and two dogs there, yeah. right? That's it. And and so you, you cannot live in something as, as real as the world of sport and have it be fake. Ultimately, people will just get sick of it. And that's that's my hope is that people do get sick of it and what they're trying to do loses the audience and the only way to get them back is is to stop doing blockbusters and go back to finding good scripts. Um, it's really interesting. And, and do it that way. I, I, yeah, it's my hope. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, sadly. I, I wish I had a lot of confidence that it would, but it's my fervent hope that that's the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, my goal this week, in some respects, um, because it comes off an own goal, is about Celtic. Celtic again, Celtic again got hammered in the Champions League. I think they're now setting records as the only British team to not win in the Champions League for 15 matches. Um, and, and I don't want to go into that whole rant because nobody's really interested about, about, you know, Celtic's strategy is to basically beat Rangers by one point within, and spending as little money as possible. <laughs> right. And then doesn't matter in Europe because if you're in the Champions League, you get the money straight away anyway which is really depressing for a team of our heritage, but that's another podcast probably based in Scotland, but not for this one. But the day after, they got an audience with the Pope, Celtic. Okay. Because um, 
one of the cardinals in Scotland put in a word and you know you, you can see you see it happening you know Pope, Pope, Pope Francis is getting quite old now and, and I think he's got to that stage where he doesn't give a fuck anymore and you know he just has to go through it and so he's wheeled out and uh, you know all the team and the jersey with his name on the back of it Francis and everything like that and I just had this vision of him saying look you fuckers need to do better than this because my name is associated with this team of yours and you're getting a shalalakin every, every time you're on an international stage. And it's it's reflecting bad on me in the Vatican. Now you need to sort this shit out. <laughs> Some people might know, might not know what I'm talking about, but uh, in, in Glasgow, Celtic Rangers, Catholic Protestant, Celtic are known as the Pope's, Pope, known as the Pope's 11, which is quite funny, but... Um, it's very funny, this little story, that when my wife came to Scotland at the start and um, uh, we're back, you know, back at the very early days, and I found her, she, she got, landed at Glasgow Airport and the taxi guy picked her up and um, could, could understand that she didn't have a full Scottish accent and maybe it was slightly fruity. And he says, um, where are you from, Hen? And um, she says, oh, I'm from Italy. Ah, that's, that's okay. Um, whereabouts? Uh, and she said, I'm actually from Rome. I live in Rome. Ah, you'll be one of us then, the taxi driver says. <laughs> and she says, I'm sure I've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and the taxi guys, you know, they say, you know, Rome, the Vatican, Pope, Pope's 11, that's Celtic, Pope's 11. So funny. But um, that's it. That's where we are with uh, Celtic. That's our glory now, managing to get an audience with the Pope. That's all we've well, got listen, left. I, I, Rog, at least they managed it. I don't think Fulham have ever had an audience with the Pope. So on the plus side, you know, it's little victories, little victories. I've got one last thing before we close up. Go on, finish um, us off. This is something that came up in Madrid because some people know this lad. Um, the NBA in Oakland, Oklahoma City Thunder, Josh Giddy. Did you see that story? Maybe not. You've been travelling a lot. No, I didn't see the story. I know Josh Giddy is, but I didn't see the story. Well, he's a young lad um, and he's been in all kinds of problems now with having sex with uh, what has been seen as an underage young girl. Now, so this is unbelievable, this kind of stuff, that, that this can happen. He's at a party that is clearly overage, Right, he's attending an event that is for adults only. She's at this event. This, the details are sketchy, but you know you can read a million articles about this. But let's say she wasn't broadcasting the fact that she maybe wasn't overage, that she maybe was underage. She wasn't doing that. They hook up. She then goes on social media and posts pictures saying, with the two of them naked, saying, just fucked Josh Giddy. That's her post, not his, right? This boy is risking the the seventh circle of hell now because of what seems to be total innocence. An event that was for adults, she looked as, you know, well, you know, over the, the minimum age. She didn't say anything. He does what most young single guys would do. She then seems to celebrate that afterwards and now everybody is all over this lad. You know, I don't know whether he's guilty or not guilty, what he knew and what he didn't know, but I don't think the burden of proof is on his side. I, that's my point. I don't think he should be getting a hard time until facts are a bit clearer. Well, unfortunately, Rog, we, we don't live in that world anymore. You talk, you talk about a world that's gone, people waiting to hear the facts before they make an opinion. Mate, that ship sailed a long, long time ago. You can thank social media for that. Jesus. There is absolutely no chance that people are going to wait until the facts are presented before they opine. And, you, and look, whatever opinion you want, you'll be able to find it somewhere on social media, without question. Talking of which, social media, and this doesn't really have anything, I'm, I'm thinking desperately to wait to tie this to sport, but I can't. Did you see uh, Elon Musk's interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin at the Dealbook conference? We called him Jonathan. I'm only here because you're my friend, Jonathan. We're friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... but that was that was that was the the most lucid part of the whole thing. Did he's, you see the rest of it? He's high as a kite. He's he's oh my lord! He's stoned out, out of his mind on that interview. It's unbelievable. Is that the, the anti-Semitism one? In. Is that the anti-Semitism one as well, Bob Agnew? Yeah, that was where he was. That was where he was telling all the advertisers to go, go fuck after yourself. themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It's just walls I are mean, closing in. You say you think it's all coming to a head. The now. walls are closing in, my friend. The walls are closing in, and I suspect they're closing in fast. Yeah, I think that too. But to just finish with this because I never saw anything this week. I was off the pace on the financial markets. Got a notification just be coming on here. Gold at an all time high. What's what's happening? Yep. Gold at an all time high, mate. Well, because they're you know, they're, they're pricing in rate cuts. They think they're going to. You know, there's going to be a recession and they're going to come back with loads of cheap money and, you know, Bitcoin's up, up at 38,000 as well. All these, all these kind of anti, anti uh, fiat, fiat currency, currency yeah. things are all, are all starting to boom. But, um, and the markets? Yeah, gold's an interesting one. Gold's an interesting one. Again, that's, that's for another podcast, Royce. That's not for this podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's um, financial markets are going to be very, very interesting in the next year or so, I suspect. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, yeah. Um, so the book should be out exactly on that, uh, The Murky World of Finance and Sports Perfect Storm. Um, probably next week you can order it on Amazon or oh, yeah. a limited edition. Yeah, I think so. I think I've done everything now. It's oh, that's old. terrific. Well, yeah, listen, I, I'll save you doing a plug because I have read it and it is, except the epilogue, which is awful, but the rest of the book is absolutely terrific. It's a it's a phenomenal read and congratulations on it. Honestly, I've said this before, but it was, um, you know, I had I had a, a mild feeling of dread in my stomach when you asked me to write. I thought, "Oh my god, what am I going to do? If this is if this is terrible, what the hell am I going to do? What am I going to say?" But I didn't need to worry about that. It, it really is a phenomenal piece of work. You should be very, very proud of this book. And and for anyone listening, um, support Rog and buy a copy of the book. You won't regret it. I tell you, it is a terrific read. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and I think it is opposite. Um, if you're right about the markets and fourth turnings and the business model and revenue model for sport and, and all this kind of danger, new audiences. Where does this all go? And um, uh, anyway, you know, thank you for doing that. Thanks to Jim Kerr for doing the forward and uh, Etienne and everything like that. But so it has been much harder than I thought. I think I'm going to write about that next week in the Sunday column. Writing a book yeah. is harder than I thought. And uh, so, not... so we shouldn't hold our breath for the sequel. Is what you're saying? No, 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 no. This is our <laughs> legacy play, one and done, as they say. One and done. <laughs> All right, my friend. All right, my friend. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I know it's late there in Italy and flight schedules and stuff have meant this has been a real, um, we're just shoehorning this in as best we can. So thanks for staying up. And thanks, of course, to you out there for listening. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. Please do keep listening. Please do keep sending us stuff to look at and read and comments and stuff. You'll find us uh, on Twitter uh, at entertainedr, the word A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. You can find myself at RPM Como as in the lake. As in the light. All right, my friend, get to bed. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, safe travels now.